Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Assalamualaikum and kia ora everyone. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. This is our very first episode, so it's very, very exciting to sit down and have this opportunity to talk, talk about good things with you guys. I hope you stick around for this journey and see, see what future episodes are like. So what is this podcast about exactly? So this podcast is about creating a space for all voices in our community um, to be heard and uplifting everyone and hearing about how life will be for them. And maybe you're wondering, what relevance does this have to me? Sounds super awesome, sounds super cool, but where do I fit? into this um, and I want to I want you guys to think about the fact that New Zealand is quite a multicultural country I reckon if you walk down your street right now there would be someone speaking a different language there'd be another person cooking food that you've never heard of and be someone wearing something that you don't even know what that is um, and that just goes to show how diverse our community is and how much of a melting pot our country is, which is a very beautiful thing. We should definitely celebrate that. And that's what this podcast is all about. Um, And also another thing that it brings up is the idea of what a Kiwi is or who does a Kiwi, what does a Kiwi person look like? And it's interesting that as our demographic has changed over the years, that notion of what a Kiwi is hasn't changed at all. And if you're someone that doesn't look like what a typical Kiwi is meant to look like, whatever that means. It's a disconnect that you're definitely very, very aware of and people in society will definitely remind you that you don't look like what a typical Kiwi is meant to look like. Um, for some, that happens on a daily basis and for some, it happens in our personal lives, in a professional setting. Um, but either way, we are all definitely reminded of, of that relationship and struggling with that definition of what a Kiwi is. And it definitely shouldn't be like that. I mean, we all call New Zealand home. We're all just humans trying to do our thing. Sure, we might look different to each other. Sure, we might have different religions. We might speak different to each other. But at the end of the day, we all call this beautiful place called Aotearoa our home. And that's the most important thing. Um, there isn't any... Uh, any notion of us or they, um, it's all about we. And that idea of we is what I definitely felt during um, the Christchurch tragedy. Um, The love that came from the community was amazing, amazing. And that sense of we just really came through. And any idea of us, them, was completely banished. We were all just Kiwis um, mourning what happened. And actually, the Christchurch tragedy is what inspired me to set up this podcast in the first place um, because I think the Christchurch tragedy really highlighted the fact that there's still a way to go in our country. Um, and there are very uncomfortable conversations that we need to be having um, as a result of the Christchurch tragedy. So for those of you who don't know, on the 15th of March, there were two consecutive terrorist attacks at Al Noor um, Mosque and Linwood Islamic Center um, during the Friday prayers. 50 people passed away and 50 people were left with injuries. Um, 
I don't want to spend much time or effort talking about the gunman. He has no relevance and he has no voice in this place. Um, but it was an entirely shocking event that happened to New Zealand and it just took a long time for our community to process what happened. Um, I remember exactly where I was that day. So I was actually in hospital that day. Um, I was receiving my daily transfusion. Oh, sorry, not daily transfusion. Um, Bi-monthly transfusion. Don't know why I made that up. Sorry, guys. Um, But yes, I was receiving my transfusion and I remember lying in bed and my friend who used to live in Christchurch, actually, she texted me and she said, Amal, I don't want to alarm you, but do you have any friends or family in Christchurch? And that to me seems so out of the blue. I was like, why is she asking me that? And I was like, no, thankfully all of my um, family and friends have moved out of Christchurch. Um, why is that? And she just replied back, I don't even have the words uh, to to say right now. Um, it's just best if you Google it and find out for yourself. So I Googled Christchurch and I just saw shooting Muslim And I honestly started to break down at that point. It's just something that you don't expect um, in New Zealand. Um, And yes, I have been, I've been gone through a lot being a Muslim black girl in New Zealand, but never once have I thought I've had to, you know, think about my life and my safety on that level. It was completely entirely shocking and the shockwaves really hit the Muslim community that day Um, we all stayed at home, we were all scared we didn't want to leave, we were completely shocked that something like this could happen in New Zealand but the response afterwards was amazing the Dunedin Mosque um, reopened again on that Sunday so a couple of days after the attack and the community came out and there were so many flowers and so much love and Everyone was just hugging each other and saying sorry, and we were all mourning together. And it was compl- it was so beautiful. I, it was such a shame that something so tragic had to happen for people um, to come together. But often, when things like this happen, um, it completely shakes you to the core, and you realise what the important things are. So, yes, we realise that we have that sense of community, which is amazing. But events like this really digs out some ugly truths and I think when people think of New Zealand they think beautiful it's peaceful but you would never associate the word racist with New Zealand but if you're someone like me it's definitely been brewing for a long time and racism is swept under the carpet in New Zealand and if it's not something that you're a target of it's completely completely um, invisible to you and I think the thing that we have to realize about the Christchurch attack is that things like this don't happen out of nowhere um, racism and white supreme white supremism especially in this case has been brewing in, in New Zealand for a, a long time and it's been prevalent globally but people think it will never happen here. But the thing is, it does happen here. And that's what I want this podcast to be about, is for people to come here and share their stories. And so everyone can come away with um, more understanding that even though we're all Kiwis, we don't all have the same experience, like the same Kiwi experience. So today I'm going to start off the podcast um, series talking about um, my story. Um, but before we hear my story, I'd like to play a song that means a lot to me and shows 
a bit more about me. So, yes, my, as I mentioned before, my name is Amal and I am a Somali Kiwi Muslim girl out here in these streets. And I uh, grew up in Hamilton, but my family now lives in Lohat. And I've been in Dunedin for the past couple of years um, for my study. So I am just started my PhD uh PhD, sorry, journey, um, taking a temporary break. Um, so that's me. And the song I've chosen for today is called Sobah by Kanan. So Kanan is a Somali Canadian singer, poet, songwriter, rapper. He does everything. He does it all, honestly, and he's amazing. And he combines elements of Somali music um, to his songs, reflecting both of his cultures, which is something I completely resonate with, um, being a Somali Kiwi um, young lady myself. So the word sobah means come out. And this song is about... Um, so for those of you who don't know um, my country, Somali, we've been in civil war for the past 20 years. 20 or so years um, and it's the effects of the civil war have been completely has just completely diminished our people I would say um, so this song is about um, making Somali people realise that we need to stand up for ourselves because at the end of the day we're the ones we are hurting ourselves basically um, with this war um, so most of the song is in English but the chorus is in Af Somali my mother tongue so I will um, give you the translation so you know you know what's going to come up so the first line of the chorus is and that means uh, you have exasperated or annoyed the people so come up come out with it the next line is dibki wadbate nagalasobah. Um, that means the troubles have um, increased or the troubles have become too much, so come out with it. Uh, the next line is digi wadgubte nagalasobah. That means you have yes yeah, spilt the blood um, and it drains out onto the roads. So come come out with it. And the last line of the chorus is dulki wadgubte nagalasobah. So you've burnt the earth so come out with it um so i hope you enjoy the song uh it's a beautiful song so yeah enjoy it basically i got beef i want to talk to you directly i can't ignore i can't escape and ask because you affect me you cripple me you shackle me Medina, Hagesa, Bosaso, Bardere, Io Berbera, 
Henderson, I'm tired of the cold goddamn sober. Yank you out the tin, I got a sober. Nick you out the tin, I got a sober. Beat you out the tin, I got a sober. Look you out the tin, I got a sober. Somalia needs all gunmen Awesome, so I hope you enjoyed Sobah by Kanan. Uh, the song comes from the album The Dusty uh, philosopher, the dusty foot philosopher, one of those two. Um, so if you enjoyed his music, please check it out. Um, he's amazing, amazing, amazing. Anyways, moving from Kanan, um, I would love to take the space to talk about my story um, and share my experiences of being a Kiwi black young Muslim girl and how it was like growing up here. Um, so my story starts back in 94. I was born in Sana'a, Yemen, um, where my parents met and they got married. Uh, it's a beautiful love story. But um, yes, that's where I was born. And I came to New Zealand when I was two years old. So I have no recollection of this. I was so young, I really don't remember anything. Um, my first memories of New Zealand actually are from when we were in Palmerston North. Um, and my first sibling who was born in New Zealand um was born so yeah my sister was born in Palmerston North and that was my earliest memories um, of New Zealand but yes so we came to New Zealand in 1997 and we moved to Auckland where most uh, migrants moved to when they first come to the country Um, we lived in Mount Roskill Yep, we're all, we're, to this day you'll still find lots of migrants. It is a vibrant community up there um, in Mount Roskill. And actually my mum came here first with me and my younger brother. So he was only a couple months at that time um, because my father had visa issues. So he was in Singapore for a while. So it was actually my mother who was here in New Zealand um, by herself with little, very little English. Um, with her two young children and um, I think it's very brave of my parents that they came over here. Um, The reason why they came to New Zealand actually was so that we could have opportunities growing up um, because they recognised that you know New Zealand's a safe country, um, it's clean, there's very good educational opportunities over here so we were you know growing up we were always that idea was always pushed to us like you know, we came here for your education, so make the use of it while you're here in New Zealand. And um, I didn't realize how 
different I was until I started kindergarten or yeah, started my education here. Before that, I think my parents were very worried that we wouldn't be able to keep up with um, schooling here. So we were encouraged to speak English a lot more at home and yeah, to speak English a lot more at home. And, you know, so we wouldn't fall behind at school. Um, But then I didn't think about it that much. But as soon as I started schooling here, that's when I realized I was different. And the environment around me and the people around me made it very obvious that, you know, I'm different. And that difference was made out to be a bad thing, actually. Um, So when I was younger, I just had this very big crisis of my identity because I looked in the mirror and I knew that I was uh, a black girl. I didn't wear a hijab at that point because I was too young, but even then my Muslim background was very um, obvious and apparent t- to me anyway. But I looked in the mirror and I saw one thing, but then when I went to school, I, I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be the furthest, furthest thing away from that because I realized that that I was different and, and that difference was a bad thing and my life would be easier if I if I wasn't me, basically. I remember actually we had to um, draw self-portraits um, at school and I drew myself as a white girl because I that's what I wanted to be. And my teacher must have been very confused. She never brought it up with me, um, but she must have been very confused as to why this little black girl was drawing herself as a white girl. Um, but yeah, even at that very young age, I was aware that I was very different and I didn't like that at all. And I was constantly having to face daily comments about the fact that I was a different skin tone. And in my first primary school, actually, it was very interesting because we didn't have that many, um, you know, European Caucasian kids at my school there was quite a good mix of migrant kids but even then I was the the different one um so you know I would bring smiley food um for lunchtime and everyone would always be like oh what's that smell or what exactly is she eating and I actually that's how my first tooth came out actually because I got punched in the face by this kid for being a black kid and I it was a very yeah it was a very big struggle and luckily we moved from that primary school and the next primary school that I went to again there was that ref, you know a good variety of different communities and different cultures being represented at the primary school um, but even then all the black kids we were at the bottom of the heap and we got bullied quite a lot for being different um, and so as I was growing up I had to deal I had to deal with that. And back home or at home, there was that, you know, pressure of still maintaining a culture and and being proud of yourself. Sorry, not a pressure, I would say, but our parents really wanted to be proud of ourselves, but they didn't understand that the struggles that we went through um, at school. It's tough when you're a kid, like you just want to fit in. Basically, you don't want to be different. You don't want to be an outlier. You just want to be the same as everyone else. And I think yeah, it was hard trying to explain that um, to my parents. But I think as I've gotten older, I've learned how to merge the two cultures. And I'm very, very proud um, to be a Somali person. Um, I'm very proud to be a black young lady. And I'm very proud to be a Muslim. And no one can take that away from me, me now. But when I was younger, I honestly, I really didn't have that confidence in me. And um, as I went through my schooling years, um, it got 
less vicious and less physical as my first incident with racism um, with me being punched but it's something that I still had to go through like for example I remember um, at intermediate school we were we all had a PE session and we were walking back and we were playing out on the field so none of us had our shoes on but my teacher thought it would be a very I don't know what he was thinking at that point he probably wasn't at all Um, but he pointed me out in front of the whole class and he said, oh, look, everyone, Amal has no shoes. She is a poor African kid. And that really hurt me because not only, everyone else had no shoes on as well because we would just had our PE session. But he picked on me in front of the whole entire class and I just felt this shame. And it was so embarrassing. Um, and I felt like I couldn't say something to defend myself because everyone was laughing. And I was like, oh, should I be laughing as well? Like, is this a joke? I feel terrible, but maybe I'm t- reading this too seriously and I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be hurt by this. I mean, everyone's laughing, so clearly it must be a joke. Um, and it was that sense of, oh, is it okay or not that I carried with me um, until I realized, actually, it's not a joke and it's not funny and you know, I need, even if no one stands up for me, I need to stand up for myself and say, hey, look, that's not all right that you said that to me. It's not funny. Um, But that day, my 13-year-old self, I just laughed along awkwardly with everyone else because I didn't know what to do. Um, And not only did that attitude come from my teachers, um, but it also came from my students as well. So constantly got told, you know, towel head or go back to your own country or, hey, have you got a bomb in your bag today? I constantly got those remarks um, while I was at school, especially intermediate high school. And some things would filter into my academic life as well. Like I remember my first year of high school, uh, we had tests and I did quite well. I was very surprised. It was my first like science high school test and I was like, oh, this is very exciting. Like I I did very well. I wasn't I wasn't expecting that at all. And the girl next to me turned around to me. Um she peeked over and looked at my paper and she saw that I had um she saw that I did have done did quite well. And she was like, Oh, I'm really surprised that you did so well. Like your English is a lot worse than mine. And I was so gobsmacked at the point. I honestly didn't know what to say. I just kind of looked at her and I was like, well, maybe you should think differently next time. And ever since that day in the test, she looked at me in a completely different light. And I think now that I've gotten a lot older, it's a completely, it's not like that anymore. People are more curious more than anything. They like to ask me, you know, why do you like to wear a headscarf? Or if it's Ramadan, then people ask me, oh, like, why are you not eating at lunch today? It's more coming from a place of curiosity. And that's the, that's the kind of place that I appreciate. Because even like me talking here, I don't know what it's like for every single person in this country, how they live their lives. There are some things that I'm completely, that's completely not familiar to me. Um, And I'd love to learn more and I'd love to know more. Um, But it's all about how you ask your questions and thinking about, you know, if you are curious about something, speak up, say, hey, we're all just humans and we want to get to know each other and we want to celebrate our diversities and create that sense of understanding. So I hope by hearing my story, you've realized that, you know, maybe life isn't as easy um, 
as it is for others and some people have some invisible struggles that they have to go through and if you see someone that looks different to you maybe be like maybe think about you know maybe I should ask them what life is like for them or how they're doing or why they do what they do um, so I hope you stay with headscarves and good yarns and keep on joining us for future episodes we'll have guests on here and they can share their stories um, and we can keep on discussing those uncomfortable truths that um, we all need to discussing if we want to grow and be better especially after the Christchurch incident so lots of love to everyone thank you so much for tuning in and catch you next time Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.